0: Welcome to the Declaration Church sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Cheryl. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. All right, so uh, just to kind of recap a little bit from last week and then we'll jump right in. Last week we were in in the first part of Galatians 2 and we saw how Paul took his gospel that that was the revelation from Jesus and he laid it in front of the apostles. Not because he needed their validation, but because the unity of the church was at stake. And through that very meeting in Jerusalem, the apostles accepted Paul and Barnabas as partners of the gospel. They didn't add anything to Paul's message, but they did affirm his ministry. And that was a big victory that had even ramifications upon us. In Galatians 2.5, we saw this um, from the text. It said this, um, To them we did not yield in submission, even for a minute, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, I believe that for you, in fact, say for you, I believe that meant for you too, for me and for you. Um, so who was he speaking about? Who was he speaking of in this he's he 's responding to these pharisees these these Judaizers, these false brothers, he used that language they'd come to spy out the freedoms that Paul and the message that he was proclaiming had had given in Christ Jesus, and um, they were continuing to add you know, chaos and and add ritual and tradition and religion to the gospel message. And so Paul says, no, no, we didn't yield for even a second um, so that we might preserve, preserve the truth of the gospel. We didn't for a moment compromise, not for a moment did we cave. We didn't yield in submission to this false gospel being spread or even to the hint of the possibility of two gospels being spread, One that was Peter's gospel and one that would have been considered Paul's gospel. We didn't even yield to that. We came, we laid our message in front of the apostles, they affirmed it and the unity of the church kind of solidified. We didn't bow to anything added to the message of Jesus because the message in the ministry of Jesus does not need anything added to it of no human effort. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. It's the riches of God, the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, the gift of grace lovingly lavished upon us, paid for by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and assured through his resurrection. He did that. It was all him. It it, it, It was not our effort. It was his. So Paul's saying not even for a moment did we cave. Not even for a moment did we compromise in order that this message, this freedom, would not be lost for your sake. That's Galatians 2.5, to preserve the truth of the gospel for you. So clearly we see that Paul is a man of conviction. He's a man of deep conviction. And this conviction is the reason for his shock and his dismay and his, some, some, um, some translations say, astonishment. Some says amazed. I'm amazed that you would turn so quickly from this gospel message of freedom. Um, this is the reason because of his deep conviction. His reason for um, this is it sounds like a big hard word, but his rebuke. I mean, it was a loving rebuke. This letter to the church at Galatia, but still, nevertheless, he begins. And man, he's he's full throttle saying, "Where are you? What are you doing? How would you? Why would you trade your freedom for bondage?" I mean, why would you trade the gift of free grace for this exhaustive effort of religion that leads to nothingness? It's just system, it's just structure, it's dogma, it's duty, it's religion. Why would you trade that? So after this meeting, after all of this takes place, we saw in chapter 1 and into the first, uh, the first half there of chapter 2, we see um, starting in 2, 11 through 14, we're going to just be in four verses this morning, but in 14 he says something, and I'm going to kind of start there and then backtrack and we will get back, but he says, but when I saw that they were not in step with the truth of the gospel, when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, that's the way that Paul Begins, somebody say confronting inconsistency. I know it's kind of a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> I had to work on it. Confronting inconsistency. When I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. When is when is the time to confront someone when we see compromise or a lack of consistency? And someone that would say, I'm a believer, I, I follow Jesus. When would the time come? You know, Paul opens in chapter 2, verse 11, with a matter of conflict. And he's saying this, he's writing this to give an example to the church at Galatia. It's a matter where compromise had happened. There was definite inconsistency. It's a matter where the gospel message was being convoluted because it, it wasn't being reflected in practice. Let me, let me frame it like this. We'll just begin this way. You're going to appreciate it, Maybe. Have you ever been in a stoplight? Anybody? <laughs> Everybody. Have you ever been in a stoplight and had someone in front of you that was not paying attention? Maybe they were they were texting they weren't paying attention or they were digging in their car and trying to pick something up. Or, and then the green light comes and they're still working at it and, and 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 then the green light turns into a yellow light, into a red light, and they never went. Has that ever happened to you? Like super frustration station, right? Like, yeah. Or... Have you been that person at the stoplight? <laughs> the struggle is real, right? I mean, you weren't paying attention. You were like, yeah. I mean, you're texting away, your Facebook, whatever. And then the, the light turns red again, and, and there you are. And um, you were the cause that no one got to go at that moment. That happened to me once, and all of a sudden it was yelling. I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> Let everybody, <laughs> just confessing sin. I'm just, <laughs> if that was you behind me, I'd deeply apologize. <laughs> Yeah, let's not do that if we have the declaration sticker on the car. Okay. Um <laughs> So uh so check it out. There's there's this guy and he's he's sitting at a stoplight one morning and there's this lady in front of him and she's digging in the next seat next to her and obviously she's busy doing stuff. She's trying to find something, I don't know. And the light turns green and she doesn't go. She just keeps working at it. And and so he's sitting there. He's trying to be patient. We just wait a little bit. You know, he's trying to decide, do I honk? Do I not honk? What do I do? You know, and she's still idle. She's still sitting there just digging away, trying to figure out or find whatever she's looking for. Do you see it in your mind? I mean, are you feeling this? Do you feel the tension of it? Maybe let's just, yeah, okay. I'm not going to say pretend that you're the guy behind her because you don't want to do that. Trust me. I know the end of the story. But so he's getting angry. And he begins to scream and yell, and he's starting to beat his steering wheel now. Like, I don't know why he just didn't, beep, beep, you know, just a kind little beep. In Texas, that's like, you don't do that. You know, in Texas, if you do that, you're, like, worried someone's about to pull a gun out or something, you know? In New York, it's common language. It's like, hi, you know? I mean, I don't get it. It's just, Texas is like, uh uh-uh, it's fighting words. So he's, I mean, instead of, like, beep, beep, just a kind little, no, no, he is going insane, I mean he is beating his steering wheel. He's angry, he's very animated, he's way. So minutes go by now and he's continually I mean he is ranting like crazy. Arms waving, shouting, rolling down the window, yelling. Now he's honking. Now he's honking. And this anguish and disgust begins to be interrupted by a tap on his on the side of his car and it's a, it's a policeman. The policeman has one hand on his gun <laughs> and he's just he's you know doing this on the guy's window, tapping on the guy's window. Immediately, the guy gets even more angry. And um, he starts yelling at the officer. And he's saying, you cannot be serious that you're trying to talk to me when obviously this lady is an irresponsible driver in front of me. I mean, he's just going out. He's, he's, he's preaching his own sermon to this officer at this point, right? And then he begins to get even more angry because the officer says, sir, would you just step out of your vehicle? Let's have a conversation. And so he's even more belligerent now. And he's starting to say things like, sir, officer, you cannot arrest me. And the officer never said anything about that yet. (laughs) You cannot arrest me for hollering in my car. I mean, I know my rights. I can holler in my car. Go talk to the lady in front of me. Clearly, she's the one that can't drive. So at this point, the officer, I mean, he's starting to get more and more animated. The officer starts feeling like, hey, this guys he's losing his cool. I'm losing control and so he says, I'm gonna to have to cuff you, sir, and put you in the back of the car. The guy begins to yell even more at this point. And, and um, hours go by, hours go by. He's taking him to the station and um, he's in his ho- holding cell there. And the officer comes and advises him, he says, sir, you're free to go. And the man is still angry. And he says, um, yeah, I knew you couldn't arrest me for what I was doing. I mean, all I was doing was yelling in my car. You, and let me tell you something, sir, I want your badge number. You have not heard the last of this. So the officer thought for just a moment. And he's trying to decide, man, is this even worth it? You know, I mean, maybe I should just let this go. But still, he, was, he's gonna, he replies, he says, sir, let me just explain. He says, I'm, I was sitting directly behind you at the light. And he said, um, I saw you screaming. I saw you beating your steering wheel. I saw you yelling and ranting. And I read your lips a couple of times. And I thought to myself, wow, man, what a total jerk. <laughs> He said, but sir, you're absolutely correct. There is nothing I can do to you for just throwing a fit in your own car. And I didn't arrest you for that. I did not arrest you for shouting in your car. But I did happen to notice the cross hanging from your rearview mirror. I noticed the bright yellow choose life license tag and the Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker. And I thought, surely you must have stolen this car. <laughs> that, sir, is why I arrested you. <laughs> but here's the, what's the question? I mean, What do our actions say about who Jesus is to a wondering world? You know, I mean, are we consistent to the character of Christ? Are we consistent in our messaging? Or better said, are we living the true message of the gospel? When Paul went to this meeting with the apostles, he found some inconsistencies. And so that's where we're going to pick up. That's why he said in 14, he says, but when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel it wasn't about necessarily just morality. It was about the message and how it was impacting lives or how it should impact lives. And the response to the gospel message should be of gratitude and desire to live in truth and freedom, not fickleness or just looking for comfort and convenience and definitely not inconsistency. So Paul sees that Peter, maybe your translation says Cephas, he sees that Peter and others are not living straightforward in truth. And to Paul, to walk inconsistently in truth is to walk contrary to truth. And what Paul examined was that behavior was not matching belief. So we start in verse 11. It says this, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he was doing was very wrong. So first things first, notice when Paul had an issue with what he was seeing, he saw that this was a widespread issue. But He really noticed Peter. I wonder why. Peter was involved in this behavior. But wait, Peter was a leader. Peter was one that we call an apostle. What did he do? I mean, he said he was doing something very wrong. Surely this leader was not leading in this way. Surely Peter wasn't leading and living in such an inconsistent manner. I mean, did Paul go to Peter's friends and say anything to them about Peter or ask about Peter? Hey, have you noticed Peter lately? What's going on with Peter? We should pray for Peter. I mean, you know, (laughs) That was funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I mean, like friend to friend and all, right? I mean, no, he didn't do that. Did Paul go around to everyone else talking about Peter? Did Paul write a blog about it and put it on social media about how Pe- what Peter was doing was absolutely wrong and how he was a terrible leader and a believer for it? No. Paul didn't go around slandering Peter. Remember what we said months ago? I think it was in the... Um, Oh man, what was it? It was in the intentional series that slander is never a solo sin. He didn't do that. He examined that, that Peter was part of the problem and instead of going to everyone else, he says, when I came to Peter, I went directly to Peter in verse 11. I went face to face, it says in verse 11. See, when we see, when we see inconsistency in people, Especially leaders in the church, I think that we, when I, when I say leader in the church, let me just undo a little bit of Western American Christianity. When I say leaders in the church, I don't just mean those that, that are paid to do the ministry. We, we've kind of had this weird, like backwards, upside down thing that somehow got passed down from generation to generation. That only the people that are paid to do it are the ones doing the ministry. That is not the truth the people who have yielded to that vocation and biblically they're they're being um, taken care of and compensated for living into that, that vocation, their role is to empower the church for ministry. And so when we say leaders, we're not just saying John and anyone else who might stand up here with a microphone. We're saying you, you, all of us in the house this morning. And so he went face to face and when we see inconsistency in leaders in the church, I think that we need to know a few things before anything happens or, or before we even do anything. Number one, we need to check our motives. Check our motives. Did Paul just not like Peter? I mean, was he frustrated at, at, at the fact that he felt like, well, maybe I should go and have to explain myself? I don't know. I don't think, I mean, did Paul just not like the fact that, that he had to jump through all these hoops to assure unity and to take his message You know, to the apostles like we saw in 1 through 10, I mean, Peter being one of them, and now this. Was Paul looking for an aha, gotcha moment to catch Peter in? No, I don't think so. I mean, was Paul trying to be the morality or the behavior police? No. Paul was continuing to preserve and defend the gospel message, but just in a different way, in a one-on-one manner. His motive was clean and clear. It wasn't personal. It wasn't personal. It was for the preservation of the truth, the clarity of the gospel message that he cared about Peter and cared about the gospel, that he goes face to face. Paul was defending the authenticity of the truth of the gospel. If Peter being a leader was living in a, in a, in a way contrary, inconsistent, inconsistent to the message of the gospel, this was not only bad for Peter, but it was bad for those Peter was preaching to. Paul's motive was the purity of the message, not policing morality. This leads to the second thing that we need to consider when we find inconsistency in how people are living, especially leaders. Number two, go to them, not anyone else, not be anonymous. Go to them face-to-face, not friend-to-friend. Be brave because the gospel is on the line. People are on the line. Too much is at stake Paul did the right and biblical thing by going to Peter. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. So Paul was living in a biblical way, but also understand his motives were pure. The gospel was was on the line, people were at stake. And here we have a leader that was showing inconsistency. What was he doing? What was he doing? Verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Wrong meaning he was condemned. That's how deep when Paul says what he's doing is very wrong. If you study languages, that's what he was saying. He was condemning himself, he was condemned. This was heavy. Saying that these inconsistencies in Peter's lives were grave. And Paul, being an apostle, he had the right to speak with this authority in this manner. He had the right to confront Peter. In verse 12, when, when Peter first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers. So now we begin to see what he was doing. He ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. And that doesn't seem so bad. I mean, it wasn't. It, it would have actually been great to see Peter of the circumcised eating with the Gentiles, the non-circumcised, the non-Jews. That would have been a great thing. It wasn't bad. It was great. It was, it was what happened next that we see the issue. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter would not eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. What's wrong with this picture? Hypocrisy, elitism, fear, people-pleasing. It's as if Peter, on one hand, is saying, okay, before they got here, I mean, we're all the same. I'll dine with you. Everything is good, all is well. But then... When those that I need to impress arrive, when the smart guys get here, when my people show up um, for fear of criticism, for fear of judgment, I'll just go back to my people. I'll go back to that system, those ways. It was cool when it was convenient. Another thing to consider, Peter being considerate of the Gentile friends by eating with them. I mean, think about this. Also, by eating with the Gentile friends, The Gentile friends, he's not concerning himself in this moment as a Jew with Jewish dietary laws. That's a big deal. Those being eating anything considered by the religious is unclean. Peter's okay to share a meal with the Gentiles until the other Jews arrive. Can you now see why this may be a bigger issue than you might have thought at first? This isn't just about common decency and courtesy or even loving people. This strikes at the heart of the gospel message. Peter's being flaky. He's a leader an apostle. He's living what's called dualistically. In our language, what that looks like is this. I have my spiritual life and then I have my other life. And so Peter, for a moment, is living his spiritual life because Jesus died to give him it, to give this to him this freedom and all these things. He's not concerning himself with the religious duty or the dogma. He's not concerning himself with the structure of the system. He's not concerning himself with the the matter of the religion. He's concerning himself with freedom and people, and he's living and he's eating and he's doing these things, and then all of a sudden, the the spirit of religion walks into the room, and you see what begins to happen. It's dualistic. It's dualism. This side of my life says I'm free until these other people arrive. Maybe it plays out differently, you know. I have a friend who is a worship leader, and growing up, he used to tell me this story. Um, Young in ministry, even, he would say, yeah, I had a real problem. Before I really understood the gospel, I would literally go out with girls, and I would pray, God, forgive me for what I'm about to do. And then he would go do ministry. I believe Pastor Matt preached months ago on moral authority. And so it's, dualist, it's dualism. It's, it's, it's inconsistent. It's inconsistent. I'll live in freedom with you, but I'll live in religion with them. Paul, he's like, but in Jesus, there's no partiality. There's no, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, at least where Jesus is concerned. Peter is bowing to the structure of the religious rather than the Savior in that relationship. Peter's caving to the message of the Jews rather than the message of Jesus. In Peter, we see compromise and inconsistency, verse 13. As a result, other Jewish, watch this. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by this hypocrisy. I mean, look at what happens when leaders lead, others follow. When leaders lead, others what? In church, listen, as, as the reflection of Jesus Christ to the wondering world around us, we have got to be considering the cost of inconsistency. How are we leading? People are looking at us. People are watching our lives. Our behaviors are directly linked to our beliefs, and our convictions should drive our consistency and put definition to our character. Words are truly meaningless in a world that needs to understand why people need proof that Jesus is good and right and true. Anybody remember when you were a kid, show and tell? I loved it. I like lived for show and tell Tuesday. If I didn't have anything to show and tell, I'd find it, look at my rock. I mean, I would do anything. I loved it. You know why? Because I was smart and I realized the more things we have to show and tell, the longer it takes. Amen, somebody, right? I'm like, I'm going to get us to lunch at least. I got 17 things, Miss Smith, to show and tell. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I thought it was super cool. You know, you pass it around the room. People, oh, look at this and look at that, you know, and it's awesome. Some people, like, you know, they like, you know, or smell it, whatever. I mean, yeah, I got weird in it. Um, <laughs> But that's what we are. I mean, we are the show and tell for Jesus in the truth of the gospel message. We are. We are the example that people see, hear, touch, and watch this smell. We are. You know why? Because to some, we're the fragrance of death, to others, we're the fragrance of life. I don't want to be inconsistent. I mean, this is why we need to be doers of the word rather than hearers of the word only. And this is just my opinion, but I believe that people desperately need to see us live a word of the miraculous rather than hear us preach a word of morality. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. And we get it in reverse. It's like we, we want to, okay, man, here's the deal. Speak this way, look this way, dress this way, talk this way. And then come to church. Strike out. Strike out. No, 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 no. Come to church. Know God intimately. He'll worry about the way you speak, dress, talk, all that stuff. It's not my job to dictate your morality. It's not our job to look at the world around us and say that we believe in free grace but live in such a way that says contrary. And this is getting tough, trust me. In our society, I'm off script, okay? Let me tell you, in our society, I need you to understand how many hours that our team wrestles with big cultural issues because we're counting the cost of inconsistency. And on one hand, some could say, well, you're being inconsistent to the gospel message. But on the other hand, some could say, you're being inconsistent to the gospel message. And you don't know what that means, but I do, I promise. Especially in a culture right now, who is doing everything that they can to figure out their identity. That's why as as a team, as your team, your pastoral team, we wrestled and we finally said, you know what? We're going to dig into this. We're going to live into this process with our people of saying, here's the four steps, the four hopes that we have for you. One, that you would know God intimately. Two, that you would find freedom. Three, that you would discover your identity, your purpose. And four, that you would then be empowered to make a difference that's bigger than you. Because we live in a society and a culture that's doing everything they can to define their identity on their terms. But God. And you know what? We love people. I don't care what they look like, smell like, talk like. And watch this. I don't care how they live right now. I care if they'll live forever. Because heaven and hell are very real places. And people are going there. Okay, back on script. Here we go. I hope the script is Holy Spirit too. (laughs) (laughs) Edit that out of the podcast, please. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to live in a way that if someone was scripting my story, they would have to write. And as a result, the others followed John's hypocrisy. Even Matt even J.D. and Carol and Sterling and Dave and Jacob and Shane and all the, Nick. and all I don't want that to be said of me. Because do you see what I just did there? I just kind of grouped a bunch of our team's names behind mine, and here's why. Because when we saw that verse, it said, even Barnabas followed in the hypocrisy. The next layer of leadership right under Peter, or right under Paul, I should say, He fell into the hypocrisy. Barnabas? I mean, not Barnabas too. Now we see Paul's angst. Now we see why Paul would confront the inconsistency. Paul boldly told the truth. This is hypocrisy. Let me define it for you. A hypocrite says one thing but does another. It's that dualism. Peter, Barnabas, and the Jewish believers knew that God accepted everyone equally. Salvation was available to everybody. Everybody and that there should be no separation in the body of Christ. Yet their actions imply just the opposite. If Paul had opted for peace and allowed these actions to go on, unrebuked, the Christian church would have once again divided into two distinct groups going their separate ways. So he had no other choice. In verse 14, When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all of the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now... Trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions. Translation. When I saw that they were not living consistent with the truth of the gospel. I mean, this was the heart of the matter. It wasn't about Jew and Gentile. It wasn't, it, it was, it was really about the gospel tearing down the barriers. There was no superior anything. There was no elite anything where people were concerned. Now all are equal in the eyes of God. To separate themselves implied that there were the superior ones, maybe because of race or tradition or law keeping. And then there were the others. But Jesus died and rose again to offer salvation to all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, every tribe, every race, every socioeconomic group. Paul is saying if all these prerequisites are removed, if all these barriers are torn down, if indeed it's all about what Jesus did and who Jesus is rather than what we can do and who we are, what was passed down potentially to us. If grace, if freedom, if Jesus Are we being consistent to live the truths of this gospel message? Once upon a time, there was this pompous religious guy who was trying to impress upon a class of younger boys the importance of living the Christian life. And he asked the question, why do people call me a Christian? The man asked. And after a moment's pause, one of the youngest boys said, maybe because they don't know you. (laughs) Ouch. I mean, may that never be our story. Pastor John Beeler once said, Christianity and the gospel must mean everything to us before it can mean anything to others. There is so much at stake. Let me say it again. Heaven and hell are very real places. And very real people are going to one or the other. You know what? I'm not about numbers for a big church, but I'm about numbers because numbers represent people who are either going to go to heaven or hell. That's why in our dream team time, I'll, I'll often say to people, you know, these chairs, setting up these chairs, we can look at that as just a boring job, like, well, oh, this is kind of pointless. I mean, all I'm doing is that. No, 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 no. You are preparing a place at the table for someone who needs to hear the truth of the gospel message. And that's also why I say, you know what? We're not just about, we're not about the numbers for the numbers sake, but we are about numbers because they represent people. And those seats, those empty chairs next to you, look at them right now. That's a serious matter. That, because that means that somebody didn't come and sit in their reserved chair. They were saving for them, that God's calling them to. And who, you know who has the privilege of inviting those people to occupy that space? There's chairs right next to some of you, and those need to be filled with your neighbors and your family and your friends. But before that you can invite them into this journey, you must have that journey with them. Don't try to police their morality. Don't try to to, to make them some sort of super Christian before they've even gotten a ticket on the train. Do life with them and show the consistent message of the gospel. May it never be our story that someone would say, maybe because they don't know you. That's why they call you that. We have skin in the game. We have got to count the cost of inconsistency and then take it a step further. We got to realize and be okay with the fact that it is not judgmental, watch me now, but rather it's loving to hold each other accountable to character and consistency. It's not judgmental. When you're talking about someone who has willingly said, I'm following Jesus Christ, to lovingly go, just like we saw Paul do to Peter and say, can we have a talk? Because I love you and because I love the church, because I love the Lord and because the gospel is what it is. Can we have a talk? Can I encourage you? I'm not trying to point it out. I'm trying to offer you a grace pillow in which you might land. Because the mercy of Jesus is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I know it's tough to confront inconsistency, whether it's other, in others or whether it's in us. This is just personal for, 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 for you. You know, before we pray and the band can come, one of the biggest challenges that I had moving into planting a church and surrendering to say, you know what, I'll be a pastor, is this very issue right here. Is the, the gravity... Of the knowledge of if I say yes to you, Lord, if I say yes in obedience, I, can't, I don't want to be inconsistent. I don't want to lead people down the wrong path. That's just me being honest. And you know one of the things that sometimes keeps me awake at night is when the Lord, because he knows my heart in that, Begins to just, in his mercy, have a conversation with me like Paul had with Peter. It begins to say, hey, John, here's where you're being inconsistent. It kept me locked up for a while before I would say yes to the Lord. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Whether it be me, whether it be you, whether it be anyone, any leader, listen, we're going to let each other down. We're going to hurt each other. It's going to happen. Why? Because we're not perfect. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived. We don't have it all figured out. We need God. I need God just as much as the person who might find themselves in this room and they might feel like it's accidental, but I'm telling you, it's it's sovereign. They may wander in here, and they're an addict to this or that. They are so far down in the hole. They they don't even know if they can breathe. I need God as much as that guy. And that's just true. And so this morning, church, I want to invite you. That song that we sang, Set Apart. I mean, what what a great song. Just in lyric. It just says, man, that's my prayer. I want to be set apart for our God above. I want to be consistent. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.